Oh jeez, Chris. What 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 have we got ourselves into this time? It's like a like a like a sound smile for your ear holes. Rick and Morty. Not obviously. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and crazy scientists and their nephews. Grandsons? I forget what their relationship is. I'm Chris yes. Leva. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today we're talking about Rick and Morty. And as you could probably tell from the introduction, I, Chris Leva, am not too well versed in the Rick and Morty-verse. Um, if that's a thing. Is there, there's probably a name for it. I'm sure there is. Know. I'm like a casual fan of Rick and Morty. I'm like a person who knows it exists and has only seen parts that make me not want to watch it. Like on in, in lots of trailers or things that other people post. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we've established in other episodes my aversion towards bodily fluid slash function depiction in um, animated form. Mm-hmm. I think uh, not, not that I have an issue with people farting or people burping or drooling. It's just when it becomes an easy thing or an easy joke instead of something out of the character, which it is for Rick, uh, then I think it becomes just unnecessary but yeah i i definitely uh would agree with that as we've established throughout our podcast if you're a new listener because you searched for us uh search for rick and morty and you found our podcast where i apologize in advance because it won't be just like the like 100 percent one hour of praise you may expect it to be um <laughs> fooled you haha <laughs> it's gonna uh, be about 80 percent, i would say Maybe yeah like 70 like a, like like Pretty much like 75 at least. <laughs> um, so as we've established on this podcast, we're a big fan, big fans of Futurama um, and like this very like story driven character, sci-fi kind of storytelling thing. So it feels like a natural fit that we talk about Rick and Morty, even though we haven't in like the almost 100 episode history of this podcast so far. Uh, so for those of you who are waiting, ta-da, here it is. Don't be disappointed. Wubba, wubba, wubba. Um... <laughs> Slash maybe be disappointed. There's a reason maybe why we haven't talked about it. Because um, we're only giving it 70% praise. <laughs> I said 75. Uh, I said 75. Yeah. Uh, so for the topic of this episode, as a as a casual fan myself, and Chris never having really seen it or having uh, had an appeal idea to see it, I purposefully chose an episode that I thought Chris would love and an episode I thought Chris would hate. <laughs> and It turns out Chris likes them equally. <laughs> No, 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 no. That is not true. I liked one more than the other, but I totally saw how you thought that I would hate the one that you chose. I was like, oh, yeah, I should hate this. You know, I, I <laughs> was the idea um, that you know me so well that I was like, oh, I see why he thinks that I would hate this. I could see all the reasoning why you chose the particular episode that we get into as to all the reasons why I would hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were reasons that I should have hated it, and the reasons that I didn't hate it were um, surprising to me. And I'm interested to hear about those. And I think I, 
I think I have, I, I know this is like all very foretelling. Like, I think I know why you think that you think that this like, um, so I'm excited to talk about that, but a little bit of background on Rick and Morty. If somehow you've been living under a rock and you haven't seen it, a lot of episodes are free on Adult Swim's website. Uh, so you can catch up on some of them. Not all of them, not usually the current season, but a lot of the old ones. Um, it's in its third season now, and it's one of those classic, like, cult Adult Swim shows that's, like, traditional animated, so it takes forever to come out with, and it's, like, years between seasons. Um, and there's an original short, like, a pilot floating around a line that's just like, what if we took the plot of Back to the Future and made it as about bodily functions and fluids and inappropriate jokes that are not kid-friendly at all? Yes. Um, called Doc and Marty. <laughs> Or something like that. Yeah, it's like M-H-A-R-T-I. Doc and Marty, so they can get away with Marty. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nothing to do with the actual Rick and Morty show. It just has a lot of the same designs, and you can see like their their evolution. And I think that the that kind of same theme follows. The, the pilot is very crude, and just to the point of being unnecessary. And yeah. each season of the show has gotten like slightly less crude and like more character driven. There are decidedly fewer like butt jokes and like genitalia on people's faces in the current season. Um, to the point where I think that's why they feel compelled in the third season over to put like the butt face people in the opening. <laughs> to remind people, hey, this was part of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is where we've come from. Never forget. <laughs> I mean, when when we watched the the pilot episode, the unaired pilot, which we didn't talk about in our episode on unaired pilots, for fear of people actually becoming curious and watching it, we didn't want to, you know, we want people to be like, "What is this?" and then go look at it and go, "Why?" Especially because it was our pilot episode, we didn't want people to stop listening to us after having um, watched that. Because once you watch it, you can't. Unwatch it. it. <laughs> um, I so wish I could unwatch it. Yeah. It's not good. If only, like, if I could get that same place that Jim Carrey goes to and wipe my brain of just that one little... I just want to forget this one thing. Are we eternal sunshining of the spotless mind? Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. So, but I, I think... Knowing that, I mean, Back to the Future is something that everybody loves. And I shouldn't say that everybody. I would say that most people probably love Back to the Future or at least have a very nostalgic feeling of Back to the Future being this really great thing. And it all comes down to the pairing of a crazy scientist and the everyday teenager. Well, the everyday 30-year-old performing, you know, playing a teenager Mm -hmm. um, of the eighties. And I, I think that pairing is always nice because it was also done. And it's, it's also the pairing that you usually get with something like Dr. Who, where you have the crazy old person. Now you have a woman, which is awesome, but you have a crazy old person and then a younger person that is completely confused and amazed and delighted and put in danger by this old scientist who just takes him on to scary adventures that no one should go on. Um, but so seeing those influences in there, it's nice to see the parody of that. 
So he's actually a um, a crazy person. As somebody who's able to jump from universe to universe should be. Mm-hmm. Like that person mm-hmm. should have major issues emotionally and mentally because of everything that they've been able to see. And there are a lot of issues that happen in continuity that they even bring up in these two episodes. Like there's one throwaway reference to like, I abandoned one of my daughters in an alternate reality. Like that's one whole episode is destroying their original universe. It's a Rick and Morty leave and find a new universe where they kill themselves and replace themselves with a new family. That's a little dark. And they occasionally go back and revisit their abandoned, like other family. It's like this post-apocalyptic warlords. <laughs> okay, so I might want to have to. I might want to go back <laughs> and take a look <laughs> at some of the things. And the, these two episodes are also like there. There is like this meta continuity of Rick and Morty, and these two episodes mostly avoid that. As I think many of the best episodes of Rick and Morty do. Sorry, said it. That they avoid the continuity. Yeah, I think the best episodes of Rick and Morty have like some kind of MacGuffin at the core. Like uh, the first episode that was shown to me to convince me that the show is good is called Me Seeks and Destroy. And essentially like the Rick is sick of the dad and the family always wanting things from him in a super science. He gives him a box that you say what you want. Like you want one clear tangible thing and it invents this creature called Mr. Meeseeks whose sole goal in life is to help you accomplish your goal. And then it disappears and dies because it's done. And the whole episode is how they the dad can't improve his putt in golf. And so the Meeseeks keep inventing more of each other. So there's hundreds of them trying to help him solve this. And they decide the only way to help him cut swings off his par is to kill him <laughs> by making his par zero. It's exactly what it sounds like. Okay. And it is, it's a really good MacGuffin episode. Like this, like the core structure, here's the rules of this weird science universe. And it goes with that, plays with that, and there's almost no like meta storyline. To be fair, it's also one of the first episodes, so there's no meta storyline yet. <laughs> I, I think <clears throat> the the decisions that they made in terms of taking this and turning it into a series, in terms of making essentially Doc and Marty related. I think you know adding some family ties. Um, would it helps it, I think. And it makes it a little bit more interesting. And as I was watching these episodes, what hit me is that this is like Futurama, like the crazy episodes of Futurama, not like a regular episode of Futurama. This is like those really insane off-the-wall ones where you see the title and go, yeah, I don't want to even feel like watching that one. You know, like the butter junk effect is one <laughs> of them. I, I could probably name them off the top of my head, you know. They're mostly in those last four seasons. At least. I mean, there's some in the earlier seasons, but not many. Yeah. Not many. Like the, I, we won't get out to Futurama. We'll get sidetracked here. <laughs> 2D blacktop. You know, like there's just a lot of them. Anyway. Yeah. But it's, it reminded me a lot of those where they go off the wall and you're like, what is even happening anymore? Like, I've lost a thread of something and it's mostly character and heart. <laughs> and, 
And when Futurama loses sight of character and heart and goes off the wall, and then they try at the very end to tie it back together to character and heart, and they just can't quite fit it in anymore. And, <laughs> and that's when the episode just dissolves. It's like the raccoon washing cotton candy in the river. You're just like, oh, oh it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> what? I have no idea what you're referencing. I'm sorry. It's a very specific image. <laughs> have it, okay, go look, go look it up. We'll put it in the show notes. Raccoon trying to... He gets he finds Cotton County and he's like, oh, I better wash this off. And he puts Is it in. Is this a real raccoon? Yes. And he puts it in the water to try to wash it. And he's like, washing what where where did it go? What happened to my <laughs> cotton candy treat? And, okay. And I've I, learned so much today. And I think that's what um <laughs> these not Rick and Morty, but the weird episodes of Futurama feel like when they don't find a nice organic way back to character. Mm -hmm. Part of what makes made these episodes work for me, these two episodes of Rick and Morty that we watched, is that I didn't start with a love of narrative or love of these characters at all. So I didn't care what happened to them. I didn't care about what they were feeling. I didn't care about anything emotionally. There was no romantic things. There was no oh, this person needs to be redeemed. It was just crazy people in crazy situations. And, oh, look, they got themselves out. Huzzah. And that's basically, like, the show. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Season 2, Episode 1, A Wrinkle in Time. Okay. Um, and to kind of catch up our audience on where this takes place, at the end of season one, they break the universe. They decide to freeze it and party for a few months. And season two picks up at the end of their few months party of just Rick and Summer and Morty as they're cleaning up the universe and putting things back in its place. And they're about to unfreeze time. Go. <laughs> <laughs> having, having not seen anything before, I will say this. I watched Pickle Rick. Oops. Didn't mean to say which one. I was. We watched the... The other episode um, first. So this was the episode that I saw second. Mm. And of the two, I think this is the better episode overall. Um, it reminded me not of the crazy off the wall Futurama, but of the best kind of Futurama where you take a concept and you visually change something about it to tell it in a new, exciting, different way. Yeah, this felt like Farnsworth Parabox. Oh, um, yes. The Prisoner of Bender. Benda. Benda, sorry. That's okay. I just don't want people to judge us. <laughs> or you. Um, it's like, here's here's the MacGuffin trick of the episode, and we're going to roll with it. And in a wrinkle in time, um, they're like, cool, okay, we're good. And then Rick warns Summer and Morty, like, also, by the way, don't touch any other living organism or you might be obliterated by time for the first few hours. We're like settling back into the timeline. Also, you must be certain about everything you do. And so inevitably this moment of uncertainty pops up and then their universe splits in two. So you have two like side by side episodes of Rick and Morty happening as you're trying to follow what's happening in each universe as they happen simultaneously. Which is so good. I mean, you just see the um, the electric fuzz around them, you know, that's cut in between them, top and bottom. 
you're, you're watching one episode unfold, the other episode unfold, and you see the tiny little differences between them, which is really nice. You get to see there's no difference in Rick because Rick is totally certain and knows what he's doing. So the possibilities of what are what's going to happen there don't really exist. But you see, you know, Morty and his sister on opposite ends. They've, you know, they've caused other problems all because Morty said something. Morty talked back, which I think is a really interesting thing. It's like all because in one universe, Morty's like, yeah, because you're drunk. And then <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> and away we go. <laughs> Since it's a really fun concept, and they really, I mean, like a good story, State Farm is there. Um, it just, <laughs> it builds. So at first you just have two separate universes, and there's crazy stuff happening there. And then eventually, additional uncertainty happens, and you have four universes. And then they start to tie it back together, and the the climax of the story is when they just, like, are purposefully being as uncertain as possible, and making, like, what do they get up to? Like 64 universes or something? Yeah. Happening simultaneously? <laughs> yes. It, it was it was pretty intense to see that many universes. That many instances of Rick and Morty. And in one, you know, what happens between Rick and Morty helps them in what is it? The universe prime? I don't know how that how that works. Yeah. I don't really know what happened, but like one sixty fourth of me thinks that you might have saved me, Rick. <laughs> you might have sacrificed yourself for me, and <laughs> but what what I really appreciated about it is it just it, it made me laugh because it was surprising because it set up. Um, I will say this: it set up really silly rules, but all the characters believe them. Mm-hmm. And because of the characters' reactions to, you know, not not wanting to be touched by their parents and because of the way they reacted to everything, it just felt really, really honest. There was still stuff happening between the characters. It wasn't just this concept going on. The concept was being caused by the relationship between the characters because of morty and his sister trying to talk back to rick and showing their own independence in some way is what was causing the fabric of these universes to split off into other instances which is great they're teenagers they're not going to be certain about anything because ultimately the core message of every rick and morty episode is that (laughs) nihilism is great you should be part of that Um, and this this episode is super nihilist in that it's about being certain in the face of infinite uncertainty. <laughs> hmm. The universe is crazy, so you may as well like be confident in what you do, and it has no consequences whatsoever. Because it's going to be crazy no matter what you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I do enjoy this episode. Um, ultimately, what I remembered about this episode was the summer and... Morty and Rick plot, and then of course there's this separate B plot of the parents, Beth and Jerry, which they reference. Rick's like, or the kids like, what about mom and dad? Rick's like, they're probably living it up in some meta storyline about their awful marriage, and that's exactly what we get as the B plot. (laughs) 
Is that it's the deer plot? Is that I'm not conflating the two of them, am I? Yeah, that's that's the deer plot. Okay. When they they hit a deer and Beth, the horse surgeon, takes it a challenge to save the deer because she's a horse surgeon, not a deer surgeon. And Jerry's saying, No, you can't do it, and then she has to prove him wrong, and it's this it's kinda like this, well that was fine and forgettable. Yeah, I think if that had been excised from the episode, I would have had no problem with it. <laughs> I I just feel like it, it was it wasn't so much a B story as like a maybe an X story. Like it was like way down in the yeah. in the necessary. I mean, it didn't it told us a little bit about their marriage, but and character-wise, it tells you a lot about the mother, but I feel like as far as being connected to the main story thematically in some way, it was just extra. Not that every B story has to thematically tie to, you know, the original story. It's not like Phineas and Ferb, where... <laughs> the B story is somehow going to influence the A story and bring everything back together. I wasn't looking for that, but I think there was just something where it was so removed and so detached. And maybe that's the point, but. And most animation, I usually want to be more than 11 minutes long. Like Steven universe is a good example. Like this could be still a great show if it were 22 minute episodes. And I feel like most Rick and Morty episodes would be just as fine as 11-minute episodes and cut out the B-plot and trim down their A-plot. Mm. And hey, bonus, you'd get seasons faster, fans of Rick and Morty, so don't hate me too much. <laughs> this has been How You Fix Rick and Morty with Mackenzie Worrell. <laughs> Make we it shorter. split the show in two. <laughs> It edits itself. I feel like I feel like that's what the main part of Rick and Morty. It edits itself. And like Rick and Morty is a lot. I haven't done the research to find out much. A lot of it is um, devised theater out of improv comedy. Um, and some of my least favorite episodes are just improv comedy. There's like two episodes where they have like this interdimensional TV. They invent a remote where they can watch a TV channel from any dimension that exists. And so there's whole episodes of just them like watching, uh, they animate just Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland doing improv comedy about different shows. So there's like, I forget one, there's like Garfield from another dimension, which is just Garfield, but with an extra hand on his head. And it's, it's not funny. Like the point is that it's not funny in any dimension, but it's just, these episodes are not good because it's unedited improv comedy. <laughs> And it's fun to do. Like, our episodes of It Writes Itself, we really enjoy doing those. Do our listeners like them? I don't know, but we really enjoy it. I have, I have no comment about whether our listeners like it. They haven't told us. So you can tweet at us and let us know if you like the it's right, It Writes Itself episodes. If you don't know what that is, there may be one coming up soon. <gasps> you have a new chance to judge us. <laughs> Stay tuned. In a later episode. Uh, <laughs> And like I have, I have problems with device theater as a whole. Like I, I don't like seeing device theater. Like unless you, it's great to use devising to establish a story and like figure out what it is, but you have to like heavily edit and then script. In my opinion, I, f I feel like, it, uh, maybe this is me and my older uh, 
you know, late 30s life, but I like a good story with structure, you know, <laughs> and possibly character. <laughs> like, I, I, I like it to have some semblance where the person who's in charge of it made decisions and was deliberate about it. I need to see intention, deliberate intention, and freewheeling improv, whether it's in dance, which if, if you're an MFA dance candidate, you know, improv is great, but edit it, give it structure, give it intention. It, same thing with, as you're saying, device theater or improv. It's, you need something if it's going to be, if, if I know that I'm going to see improv, I know that I'm getting something that's thought up on at the moment. That's what I'm buying in for. I'm buying in for the surprise, for the random, for the people trying to overcome obstacles that other people throw in. Like, well, how would Wonder Woman react in a Rick and Morty episode? And they go to an ice cream shop in San Diego. You know, like yeah, like trip tripping people up is part of that. And I. I'm not implying, like, I think that Rick and Morty, the best Rick and Morty is edited improv. And I love edited improv because I think it's a great tool. Yes. I love going to Chicago and seeing a show at Second City where it's their scripted sketch show based off of improv that they've done to help devise this and fine tune it. That's great. It's wonderful. One of my favorite experiences in the entire world. Can't recommend Second City enough. Fantastic to see. Um... A Wrinkle in Time, I feel like, is a good example of this, where they either devise the rules of this MacGuffin out of their improv, or they started with, like, okay, here's the rules, now we're going to roll with that and figure out what happens and use that. And it's edited. It's heavily edited and scripted. And Dan Harmon is amazing with story structure because um, he has a formula and he has it down, which is satisfying as a viewer. Would you... Let's talk about that as we are about to get into a whole new pickle. Um, in this uh, conversation, I, I don't know, yes. but let's talk a little bit about this because I didn't know about this. So you can look up online. Um, it's gets a lot of hits. So it's easy to search for. If you search for like Dan Harmon's story, or, um, I think it's officially called story structure one Oh one. And I won't say the name of the first chapter because it's, we have a kid friendly podcast. Um, so I can't say that name. It's a, it's a family friendly, it's a family. Friendly. Yeah. Family-friendly podcast, as we're talking about Rick and Morty. Um, don't watch this with your kids. You can listen to our discussion about it, but don't watch it with your kids. Um, so, Story Structure 101 is this six-chapter, like, wiki page article thing written by Dan Harmon just about how to tell a story. And it kind of, huh, goes in circles for a little bit, but to elaborate on the different ideas story. And Dan Harmon's idea is that you take a circle, bloop, and you divide it into... Um, like essentially quarters and then each intersection and each like in the middle of a quarter has a number. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And there's eight steps in your story. Okay. And through the course of these six chapters, which is like a 20 minute read at most, um, he breaks down what happens in each of these eight steps of a story. And I don't want to spoil it too much because he does a good job boiling it down, but his eight steps at the initial outset are one, a character is in a zone of comfort. Two, but they want something. Three, they enter an unfamiliar situation. Four, adapt to it. Five, get what they wanted. Six, pay a heavy price for it. Seven, 
then return to their familiar situation, eight having changed. Hmm. Which if you've done any theater class in college, like there's drama 101. Um, but he does it in a very engaging way in his Dan Harmon voice. So it's a, it's an excellent read if you're interested in story structure and storytelling. I don't think it's necessarily an original idea, but it's a good way of putting it for a modern audience. And a lot of times, and speaking as writers, I think a lot of times you take the rules, you synthesize them, how they work for you. And you, you know, you figure out the way that your rules sounds that clicks in your brain for your stories. So for me and my brain, my story structure all hinges on like the prestige, you know, the magic trick in the prestige. You show the world as it is, you change the world, and then you put the world back together again, but now it's completely different. Which, again, that's three steps. So if Chris Lavis three steps, Stan Harmon's eight. I could get to the same place in only three steps. It's, it's just a three-step program. It's a three-step program. Who needs eight steps? <laughs> For recovering playwriters of the world. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's, that's what it is. You take your language. Um, you take the, these huge concepts that go all the way back to... Aristotle and, you know, even beyond Aristotle about what character is about, what drama is about, what changes in a character through story, and then you'd make it your own. And then you put it on the internet and say, this is what I believe, and then other people will take your rules and flip them to how it affects them. And at the end, Dan Harmon is an FAQ where he anticipates questions or got real questions from people, and he gets like one of his... He puts a sassy, like, Dan Harmon fan voice on cue. But what if I don't want to do it this way? Or what if I don't want to do this? And his answer is like, well, I welcome you to try it and prove me wrong. Try and write a story without a protagonist or without a protagonist who wants something. Try it, please. To look like a story as we know it, you have to do these things. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's so interesting. I, I look forward to looking that up because I didn't know that existed. It's good. It's fun. I reference it sometimes while writing. Like, it's a nice, like, on the internet. I don't need to bring a book with me to a coffee shop. Like, what do I need to do to my story now? Like, story structure 101. Ah, step five. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> and I also, with Pickle Rick, um, I want to retell kind of the, the Rick side of this story because it fits this story structure perfectly. And I also think this goes into our writer emergency pack. Not our, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> like, wait. Not our writer emergency pack, but our talks about the writer emergency pack. If you want to give us the two second spiel, Chris, about writer emergency pack. Two second? Oh my goodness. Um, two sentence, sorry. Oh, okay, that, that I could possibly do. They might be run-ons, but two, se two sentences. Here we go. Writer emergency pack developed by John August, who's a screenwriter and podcaster who does the Script Notes podcast, has developed a pack of cards with story ideas and questions to help the dramaturgy of your story when you're stuck. Yes. And there's one card in there that during Pickle Rick, I kept thinking about it's the, what if your character gets what they want? And I think Pickle Rick, the entire structure is what if Rick gets what he wants? And then you deal with the consequences of that again and again and again and again. <laughs> That's exactly what the story is. 
uh, which is really fascinating. And um, I know I've talked about I'm not an anime fan, but I've watched One Punch Man recently on Netflix, which is a show about a superhero so strong he can kill anything with one punch. And I feel like ultimately Rick and Morty is the same thing. You have a main character who's so smart, he gets anything he wants right away. What are the consequences of that? (laughs) So I'm conflating One Punch Man and Rick and Morty here. So in Pickle Rick, we begin with some kind of off-camera yelling of Rick yelling, Morty, Morty, and Morty's looking for him. And he finds a pickle on a workbench. And you hear a voice say, flip the pickle over, Morty. And he flips it over. And then you get the, um, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The exposition and the in-character Rick sentence. Boom, big reveal. I'm a pickle, Morty. (laughs) (laughs) And Morty reacts like, and <laughs> he's so used to this at this point, this doesn't matter in his universe. <laughs> so we have step one, a character's in his own of comfort. Rick turns himself into a pickle because he doesn't want to go to family therapy with everyone else. This is typical Rick. Step two, but they want something. They, Rick doesn't want to be pickle. So he's geared this syringe full of anti-pickle serum to fall on him instead of going to family therapy, which the family calls him out for and they take the serum. And you as an audience member may be wondering now, like, how does a motionless pickle with a mouth get out of the situation and turn back into a human? And that's when this episode turns into like this D&D game of essentially, how does Rick get out of this pickle? So to <laughs> Literally speak. and figuratively. <laughs> Three, Rick enters an unfamiliar situation. The cat baps him off the bench and he gets washed by a storm down into the sewer. Four, adapt to it. He bites the head off a cockroach and uses its brain to create moving legs. Five, get what they wanted. Through an assemblage of razor blades and cockroaches and dead rats, Rick assembles for himself a skeletal muscular half rat, half pickle body. As you do when you're a super scientist who turns himself into a pickle. Six, pay a heavy price for it. He escapes the sewer and winds up in some kind of like embassy for an unnamed Eastern European country that is actually a death trap. (laughs) Seven, then return to their familiar situation. With his half-rat, half-pickle body, Rick escapes, harmed, and with eight minutes to live, and arrives at family therapy to get the syringe from Beth. (laughs) Where he's then confronted by the therapist. So eight, having changed. (laughs) He realizes he has been selfish. And he still doesn't want to react to that and display that, but he realizes he's been selfish, so he and Beth bond over making fun of the therapist. And then he has a brief, I'm sorry. So you have the whole story structure in Rick's story of how does Rick stop being a pickle? And I think because it was so character-based, and I think that's where... I enjoyed it. So what were the re- what were the reasons that you thought? I, I would love to hear you talk about the reasons that you thought that I would hate this episode. Well, having come off our Castlevania episode where we talked about gratuitous violence, yes. this episode is like mm, three montages of gratuitous violence and blood. Yeah. This is another example of, I think this could be an 11 minute Rick and Morty episode. Um, <laughs> And it's, it's in Rick's character to be violent, and they juxtapose that with the family talking about, essentially, Beth goes into family therapy thinking it's the kids who have the problem, and the, the course of family therapy reveals it's that Beth's image of Rick is the problem. 
It's like, you know, he's a good man. And we cut to Rick, like, using this Duracell-powered laser beam to um, burn Eastern European henchmen um, off their legs as they fall to the ground and scream in agony. Yes. That's a good shot. <laughs> and there's lots of, like, using razor blades to decapitate rats and, like, there's blood everywhere as he's reveling in it. Um, this is the reason I thought you would hate it, because this, this does feel like pointless, gratuitous violence for the sake of being gratuitous violence. Well, let me let me walk you through this a little bit. So, okay, he's he's a pickle, right? And okay. I start laughing because that's just ridiculous. He's like, what? What? A, and I'm like, okay, why did he do this? There, there has to be an ulterior reason that he's done it. And then we get to see that. Oh, was that today? Oh, I can't. I'm a pickle. Oh, I wish I could go, but I can't. Like, oh, there it is. Great. And then he ends up outside, and then he ends up in the sewer, and then we see the cockroach. And I'm like, what's going to happen here? And then he vomits up some brine to lure the cockroach over so he could bite the cockroach's head and um, use the cockroach's brain to, you know, he, he pushes on the cockroach's brain with his tongue since that's really the only appendage he has is his tongue. There's to, a lot of dramaturgical problems with the anatomy of this pickle. I know, but he, he pushes it so that way then the cockroach can drag him to safety, and then later on it becomes more extensive. So there's a nice slow build with the violence that he's doing this to be able to survive. Um, I think I had the most problem with him like vomiting up some brine. <laughs> than with the blood. I don't know what that says about me, like mentally, that I'm like, ooh, gross. Oh, and then, brine. Uh, ugh, and he's, gross, and he's, salty brine. Oh, oh God, stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even vomit, it's brine. I know, just stop talking about it. <laughs> I'm having a hard time. <sighs> this is what I'm saying. I don't know what's wrong. And then he bites. Oh, bites the head off the, the cockroach, really rips its head off and uses the brain as we've talked about. But it's a small thing. And then we see him having crafted a semi body out of the cockroach. You see that he's manipulated it enough that he has now a semi cockroach body, but he sees the rats and starts hacking those guys up to start taking a rat body and has constructed this machine that will essentially Iron Man and um, create and install rat appendages to his pickle body. Mm -hmm. and, and X-Acto knives. And X-Acto knives into the rat arms and appendages. Um, and I think because they ramped it up to that point, then I was like, oh, I see. We're just going full on crazy. <laughs> I see. Like, it was, a, it was a good progression that it's like, look, it's not about the killing. It's about survival. And also look at this really silly stuff about how intricate this machine is that installs the rat appendages to him. And I like the machine, but I don't th I think the point after that is that it's not about survival because then he, like, gratuitously murders all the rats and has this monologue to the king rat about like why it's not special instead of just being escaping as 
he could have done all along. He gratuitously murders all the rats. Oh, I know that. But wouldn't you, though? If no. You wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't be a pickle in the first place <laughs> to get out of family therapy anyway. Maybe for fun. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. Um, <laughs> where was I going? I don't know anymore. <laughs> I feel like it, it ramped it up in a good pace for me to, when we get to the ridiculousness of him in the compound, massacring people, blowing through people's heads, that it's not something that we haven't seen in something like Deadpool in quote unquote live action. <laughs> Cause most of that mm-hmm. was CGI, yeah. but you know, it's something that we've seen before. It's just ludicrous that a pickle is the cause of it. A rat appendaged pickle is the one doing this eighties action movie violence. And there's even a, I said 80s, but now I mean 90s, 90s role, like a a diehard Nicolas Cage from The Rock kind of feel, or more Con Air Nicolas Cage, actually. Con Air Nicolas Cage, wife beater and long hair, man who's been wronged, good man just trying to get back home, but now he's been turned into a killing machine and he wars off against pickle rick but then they team up together and that's a nice surprise so it's like the villains from die hard and nicholas cage from con air and a pickle and it was just so ridiculous at that point that i was like i don't care that there there's a lot of blood because we're so far off the rails and this episode of Reception took me by surprise because I kind of finished it and said, like, well, that was a fine episode, but there's lots of stuff that was problematic here. Yeah. And then I read the reviews online. It's like all the people talking about, like, this is the greatest episode of Rick and Morty ever. It's like, really? This one? Okay. If you say so. It's, it's the And Susan Sarandon does have the amazing therapist speech. Yes. Which is brilliant because it's not this condescending talk to Rick about, like, how he's selfish. It's a talk to Rick about how he's selfish. And yes, 100%, he'd be bored senseless by being in therapy because he's above this. And it is like the brushing, the like Susan's random brushing her teeth in the morning. It's necessary, but she has to do it. Um, and she tells him, like, you don't need to be here. Here's why. Because you don't see yourself as part of this family and part of this world. Mm-hmm. Which is brilliant. And it's amazing. Yeah. It, it was really great. And I think that also helped put a nice tie on it. So like that, this is thematic a and B story coming back together to reveal character in a way that the first episode we talked about just didn't. Mm -hmm. It's like these reveal things about each other and come back and, and create something. I mean, I guess a wrinkle in time, they have the dad come back and, make fun of Rick and he's like, it hurts. Doesn't it? When people make fun of you, it's like, really? That's where we were going. I didn't see that. That's where we were going. Like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, there's, there's ups and downs of Rick and Morty. There's another episode I really like. I forget the name of it. It's where Rick runs into his ex-girlfriend. who's like this world consuming, like psychological parasite. 
Um, and she becomes like this, this entire world entity of people who's taken over the minds of people. It's a wonderful episode. Um, hard to talk about at all and still be a family friendly podcast, which is why I opted not to show you that one. <laughs> but if you want more, I recommend that one. Okay. Fair enough. Um, did you have a favorite thing from these two episodes, Mackenzie? I do. I mean, part of the joy of Rick and Morty is so many good, like Rick one liners. And I think the best one in here um, is Rick saying, I don't do magic, Morty. I do science. One takes brains and the other takes dark eyeliner. <laughs> there were a lot of really good parts. I think for me, the thing, my favorite thing was just the split, the visual split in a Rickle in time. That was just really. It just tickled me really, really well. It tickled your Rick? Yeah. It tickled my Rick? What? No. I don't know. No, it didn't. <laughs> did not. It did. I mean, if we're going with, like, generic story things, yes, obviously that's the best part. That's my favorite thing. I'm not, oh, generic story thing? I'm just saying what my favorite part was. <laughs> Jeez, okay. <laughs> so now I'm going to be judged by you. That's fine. That's fine. It's my role. I'm going to start introducing myself as Judge Mackenzie Will. All right. Fine. Shall we talk about completely changing gears, our homework time for next time? <laughs> yes, let's. Next time on Raiders Get Animated, um, we're going to talk about something completely different. Instead of modern adult animated comedies, we're going to talk about 1940s Disney movies. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically the period that is post-Bambi and pre-Cinderella, which is a number of movies. Um, specifically, we're going to get into the throes of Three Caballeros, so check that one out. Um, and then additional optional ones are whatever else. Uh, we'll probably talk about Make Mine Music and Melody Time also. Um, so also look at those. And maybe <laughs> some other ones. Saludos amigos? Question mark. You don't have to... You don't have to see Saludos Amigos to understand the plot. <coughs> sorry, plot of Three Caballeros. <laughs> so, yeah. Though it is a sequel, you don't have to worry. Oh, sorry, sequel. You yeah. don't have to watch Saludos Amigos. But this is the second part in our canon in D. Isney. Um, but if you want to check out our first part on Snow White and where it all began, we'll have that in our show notes. As always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Catino, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. You can find us on the web and argue with us about our Rick and Morty attitudes on Twitter at WG Animated. Like us on Facebook.com slash WG Animated. And we will have links to all this fun stuff on our Tumblr, writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. If you're enjoying the show, leave us an iTunes review. And we always like to give an assignment every time. So if you leave a review on iTunes, make sure that in some way you overuse the word pickle. <laughs> that way we know which show you most recently listened to when you leave your review. And I think my, my parting words here are going to be a reference to Rick and Morty that Chris doesn't understand yet. I'm going to go scrub my eyes with a plumbus. Huh. 
Good night, everybody.